Maybe I've said it before, but you know what I'm thankful for? Those older saints living in past, who they have become has much to teach us about following Jesus. I once heard it said that each generation has to learn things for themselves, sort of find their own way. Maybe there's something to that. But I'm deeply moved by those radiant lives that bear witness to the possibilities of who we can become after years of being immersed in God's kingdom. And today, we get to talk to a living saint about a past saint. My guest today is Marty Ensign, Madamo Marty. She's a long-term missionary to Africa and one of the original members of the Renovari board and ministry team. In the book club this month, Marty is guiding us through reading the classic book, The Hiding Place, written by her old friend, Holocaust survivor, Corey Timboom. In this interview, we remember that God is not in a panic, and that forgiving others is an act of freedom, a choice not to live our lives imprisoned by the evil perpetuated by others. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Weekly Podcast. Madamo, Marty. Yes. Hi, Nate. It's so good to see you. We get to talk today about an old friend of yours, yes? Very old friend, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Corey Timboon. Could you tell us a little about Corey? Well, I first met her in Africa when we were at a missionary conference where we've had, we had had big speakers, J. Edwin Orr, Stanley Volk from London. And then we were asking, well, who's going to be our Cumbia speaker this year? And they said, I don't know, it's some old Dutch lady. (laughs) (laughs) There were groans. (laughs) And, uh, of course, by the second day, they all the groaners were following around the hill on the conference, trying to sit by her at lunch. And she so was so appealing and so inviting that uh, that disappeared very fast. Mm-hmm. She, what was she like as a speaker? <clears throat> she she was very interesting because you know if anyone has a small unique thing in their speaking. That's attractive. And she had this marvelous Dutch accent, you know, where the V's were W and and uh, she didn't try to clean it up and be used really good English. She just told it like she would tell a story and very captivating. And of course, the Lord's presence after what she went through in a concentration camp and then traveling around the world. uh very appealing and had had so much background and stories to tell. Hmm. And your relationship with her continued beyond the conference, yes? Yes. After that, uh, she she wrote one book called Tramp for the Lord, mm-hmm. which sort of was a travelogue of all these places she went. And she would just go wherever God directed her. And sometimes it was very tricky because uh, she felt God was calling her to one island in the South Pacific. And they said, well, we're sorry, we don't have any air transportation to that island. And she said, well, you will, because God told me to go there. And that's (laughs) why to get there. 
And sure enough, about two weeks before the conference was scheduled, they they initiated air service to that little island. And we would get all nervous if we were traveling with her, you know, oh, no, we're going to miss this flight. And she would turn around and say, God is not in a panic. (laughs) 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 Calm us down. (laughs) Oh, that's a good line. I think we all need that kind of plastered over our doors, right? Yeah. God is not in a panic. (laughs) Then you would go on trips with her? I I did several meetings with her. And then uh, when we came home from Africa in in the 70s, mid-70s, she decided she was not going back to Holland. The traveling was getting, well, you know, a doctor told her, Corey, you can keep running around like this and changing time zones and changing diets, and you're going to (laughs) die. If you let me settle you down in one country, (laughs) one place, and one diet for a few weeks, then you probably will have a long ministry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, So she bought a colonial sort of mansion just outside of Kampala, Uganda, and she made it into a missionary guest house. And she brought <clears throat> many of her treasures down from Holland. Mm-hmm. Nice carpets and nice dishes. And I said, Corey, these are not going to last. They probably won't last. She said, I don't care. You've got enough ugliness. I want some beauty. So, <laughs> so she just furnished it beautifully. And, and uh, we were there many times with her. And then when we got home, she had decided never to go back to Holland or, you know, international travel. And I was kind of her contact to that area of her life. She loved Central Africa. She came down to see us. She would speak at the teacher's training college. She loved to get in the prisons Uh and go and tell them, you know, that there is no pit, that God's love is not deeper still. (laughs) (laughs) When you think about Corey and her story, you know, from the hiding place, the book, but then also mm-hmm. beyond, I mean, what are some pieces that you would like people to know about her story? I think I was even surprised with this particular version of the hiding place that we're reading. It mm-hmm. was not actually written by Corey. It's from the book that, <clears throat> excuse me, that Corey wrote called A Prisoner and Yet. Mm-hmm. It's just a little... And she wrote it in her Dutch dialect, kind of, you know, it wasn't real good English and everything. So the Sherrills have cleaned it up, and I've learned new things from Mm -hmm. this book about her life in Harlem before they started taking and protecting Jews. Mm -hmm. That uh, she grew up in this small, little cramped house with three old maid aunties, Mm -hmm. her mother's three sisters. And... If you would ever see this little bayet, this little tiny rooms and things, you just think, well, what did they? The thing I thought of, and after she started taking in Jews, so there might be 12 or 15 people in that little house. Mm-hmm. One bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. So anyway, just just their generosity, their, you know, Father Tin Boom, when they took them away to prison from the bayet, after the Germans had taken over, they said, old man, 
we do not want to put you in prison. By that time, he was in his 80s, big white beard, big shock of white hair. If you will go home and promise not to take strangers into your house anymore, we will let you go home and die in your bed. And Father Tinboom said, I will never refuse God's ancient people to come under my roof. And he died in prison. So mm, I, I found in, in the beginning parts of the book, just this really beautiful, idyllic, you know, with the, the watchmaker, her dad, a watchmaker yeah. and her helping and doing all that. Just quite beautiful. But they remained a family of faith. Even when they were betrayed, even when some of the people that they trusted so much turned them in and got them picked up, you know, and incarcerated, they kept this positive attitude, you know, that God is in control. They didn't hate those people. They they kept trying to win them, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've gotten to the point where Corey goes back to Germany after she's out of prison and mm. rehabilitated. And there in the audience is the man who was so cruel to her sister, Betsy, beat her and probably started her on the path to her death. And as soon as the meeting was over, he came up to Corey and said, uh, I want to tell you that Jesus Christ has forgiven me for the terrible sins that I did. And now I want to ask you, will you forgive me? And Corey said, he reached out his hand and my arm was like wood at my side. I could not move it. (laughs) She said, then I cashed the check of Romans 5.5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I reached out and took his hand. Mm. <laughs> what was she like as a person? I mean, that that sense of she'd been through so much, yet had a trust in God and a sense of forgiveness in the midst of that. How did that and, kind of? And, yeah, go ahead. You know, and cheerful. She loved people. She loved to get out. And, and as I said, the prisoners, we were at one meeting in the United States, and I had my little travel chess set with me. I don't even know why, because my boys weren't with me. And usually that's why I carried it. She saw it in my luggage and she said, Oh, Marty, I love to play chess. <laughs> I said, Oh, Tante Corey, you don't want to play me. I am unbeatable at chess. <laughs> she said, Oh, no, I want to try. So I set up the board and I think it took her about eight moves to wipe me right <laughs> off. <laughs> I think she was fearless and just, you know, she was just a a sweet, wonderful friend that anyone would love to be around and love to have. Mm, That's nice. When you think of um, some of the things you learned from from Corey through the years, are there a few that kind of stick out to you? Of course, the most obvious one is forgiveness, Mm -hmm. because I have trouble forgiving people right away. I mean, I think God's already forgiven them. And if I forgive them right away, they're going to get off scot-free. So mm. I don't <laughs> like to hang it over them a little while. And she really knocked that out of me and said, you know, I mean, imagine forgiving people who, who kept you in those germy, buggy beds for 
years and mm-hmm. were so mean to you. And she was able to say, you know, that God has forgiven them. And she said, he, when he forgives you, he buries your sins in the deepest sea. And then he puts up a sign that says, no fishing. <laughs> she, she was pithy with her quotes, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah she was. There, there are dozens of them that you could just never forget, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love hearing it with the accent. That adds a, <laughs> a special piece to it. What do you think in terms of her life legacy um, pieces, obviously forgiveness, but are there other pieces or maybe even just that, um, helpful for us today in in this time and space? Well, if you can think of someone who was nearly starved for those years in prison, and as a matter of fact, when we were in meetings after we were in the States together, she would carry a little sandwich bag in her purse, Mm -hmm. and we would be taken to these fancy restaurants by wealthy people, and she would eat, and then I'd see her pull out her little bag and start I'd say Tante Cory I would get you any food you want you know when you get back she Uh says I have nearly starved I will not baste good food (laughs) so she'd take a little bag back to the room and that would be your next meal yeah yeah that's good pieces that when people are reading the story that you think are important for them to take away from her life Uh, The fact that one of the things that will stand out is that she and Betsy, in these horrible uh, circumstances, and the Sheryls have done a wonderful job of describing the lice and the dirt and the crowded beds, you know, just jammed together, and that she, she didn't hold that in her personality, you know, and she just moved on and and, uh, loved people all around her. She's very accepting of people with handicaps and and, uh, just a loving, loving kind of friend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. How how do you think we move on in pieces in, in life that are challenging? Well, I think we have to take this attitude that Nothing is worth us carrying this load. She used to say, carrying a grudge is punishing yourself for what somebody else has done. (laughs) It's not very practical, is it? (laughs) No. (laughs) If you let them off the hook, see, then you're not (sighs) hanging them up. Uh uh So do you think it's, I mean, it must have been difficult for her. To move on? I mean, from all that trauma? It it took a lot of time. And, you know, she lived to be 90, nearly 90. And so it took a lot of time and she would work it through. And I think that's one thing that made my friendship uh, valuable for both of us. And that is that I kind of represented that area in Africa when she was calming down and not feeling frantic about getting out and serving. And I was kind of her connect to all those stories like Bignoni. And, you Mm. know, she would set a little tape recorder between us on the sofa. And then she said, tell me that story, that story about Victor, you know. (laughs) (laughs) 
and she would record it. And it is some of the stories are in Tramp for the Lord and and the other books that she's written. So you would tell stories to her. Yeah. Yeah. She loved that. And she loved to tell stories, too, you know, when Mm -hmm. she got Mm -hmm. going. Mm -hmm. Mm, That's helpful. Just think of how for so many people we get stuck in situations or experiences and that kind of sets a negative trajectory for our life. And so the idea of forgiveness, you know, kind of moving beyond things, it's so appealing and it makes a whole lot of sense. But how it's do we, hard. How do we do it? Uh, we we cashed the check of Romans five five. <laughs> <laughs> the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit enabling us to do what is not humanly possible to do. We sit in that, yes? Yeah, and and go back to it. It isn't, you know, it's not like a mathematical equation that you can memorize once and then you keep using it. Right, right. Every situation that faces us and every hurt is different and has to be dealt with in, in the way that, God really wants us to move. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so is there anything that you want to make sure that we talk about? Oh, I know what I was going to say about she and Betsy in the in this horrible camp. They just kept evangelizing. You'll see that in the book. They just they had smuggled in a little New Testament, and the women would crowd around them and they would read the Bible and preach and right up till the end. Just before Betsy's death, they were still winning people to Christ, mm. still giving the gospel. And they would approach these people that you may not live much longer and you can live in heaven, you know. And they would read. And I'm sure by the time they finished three years of that, they probably had that little New Testament almost memorized because mm. they lived in it. And she did the same thing when she retired to the United States, and this doctor in Placentia, California, gave her this house to use as long as she lived. And she started right out with the neighbors, you know, call that lady. I I would like to talk to her. <laughs> so that she'd bring the neighbors in, have a cup of tea, and, you know, try to win them to Christ to, mm-hmm. till she had the stroke and couldn't speak any longer. Mm. And she she never married, never had children? No, but this is a really interesting thing in the book. She had a love. Mm-hmm. She had a young man that they really loved each other. They wrote, but her brother went to university with this man. Mm-hmm. And he said, Corey, you are never going to marry that man. She said, why? He's, he said, his parents have mapped out his life. And they want him to marry well, very well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that means wealth. That means somebody with status and rich. And sure enough, after a year and a half of this correspondence and meeting and walking, doing all dating things, uh, she opened the door one day and there stood her her man with his fiance and introduced mm. this wealthy, well-dressed, well-coiffed woman that he was going to marry. And so she never did. In the book, there is a very poignant picture of her after this news had come, Mm. looking sad. Mm. But then she accepted that. 
Yep. And and went on and had this adventurous adventurous life. Life, huh? right? Yeah, yeah. That's good. Um, I wonder if I could, Marty, since I have you here, and and I know there are a number of people in the Ernavart community that know you and love you. Can you give us kind of an update at your life and what you've been up to? Well, I've been up to active church here in Olympia, mm-hmm. and I belong to an international women's service organization called Seroptimus that, you know, was formed because we women couldn't join Rotary and Kiwanis, so they wanted <laughs> one of their own. So it's been, I don't know, 100 years or something. It's the largest women's service organization in the world. It's many countries, and I've been active in that. And it's really interesting. I told Glenn once, they surely can find someone else to pray. (laughs) Not just our local club here, but I get called to Seattle and, and Portland to offer the invocation at dinners and things like that. Uh huh. And But because that's out there, then I've been approached many times by people in trouble, gals, and and there there are several other Christians in the group, but uh, they come and, and ask for prayer or advice or something. So I've been kind of pastoring the Seroptimus group on <laughs> this side of the world, <laughs> and then our our activities at church. And I will have to say that I've had to cut down a lot because Lynn takes a lot of care now and Mm -hmm. I can't just go off anytime I get a call. You're going so strong. You're you're getting ready to turn 90, right? Well, in uh, about 18 months, yeah. Yeah. You don't seem like you've slowed down (laughs) at all. (laughs) Well, I have, but it's it's a good thing. It's, you know, it's good to get to a stage where you just feel so close to the Lord and so close to heaven and, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. You, you said something to me a couple of years ago as you and Lynn were kind of aware that with some health issues that you're not going to live forever. And you said a statement, I think it was like something about avoiding Heaven at all cost, or uh, yeah, I said, what, what? I, no, I said, heaven is not to be avoided at all costs. You know, <laughs> put me on a respirator and keep me around on this earth for another few days. No, heaven is to be welcomed in. Think, gonna see Jesus, so <laughs> no fear in that. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. How, how's Lynn? He's probably going to have to go in again. To surgery today for a cardioversion. That's when they thread a little camera and light into your heart and see if the valves are working. And so we, we have the best of medical care and a lot of people in Renovari praying for us. So we feel uplifted. You guys have been through a lot the last few years. Yeah, and we weren't alone, were we, Nate? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you weren't. that last section came from an off-air comment she made to me when i was asking about her husband's recent heart attack yeah we weren't alone were we nate something in those words struck me so profoundly i wanted to share them with you 
I wish you could have seen her face. It almost felt like a reprimand, but in the most beautiful way. Yeah, we weren't alone, were we, Nate? Here, welcome to join us as Marty hosts The Hiding Place in this season of the Renovari Book Club. We also have a series of wonderful stories that Marty's recorded. You can hear them on our website if you go under the video and audio tab. It's entitled, An Evening with Madamo. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.